Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Boxing One Podcast. This is your boy, Jay Rich, a.k.a. John Richards, and I'm here with the homie C-Glass, a.k.a. Chris Laster. What's up, homeboy? I'm chilling. What's good with you, Jay Rich? Look, man, this is episode number 62, and we're entering the fall season in this episode. So you know exactly what that means, right? But generally, let's let the people know what we talk about. We talk about sports, culture, and theology through the lens of the gospel. And we always like to start with a sports topic, right? And in the fall season, in September, when it's getting a little bit nippy outside, that can mean only one thing for us, right? Especially you. But I love <laughs> I love Saturday fall Especially season. me, man. You know, we're both NBA heads, but I love college football, which means by default in the fall, you got to hear me. Uh, wax eloquent about my Georgia Bulldogs. So college football is back, man. I call this the most wonderful time of the year. Obviously, most people think that's Christmas and for good reason, right? Um, At least from a Christian perspective. But when it comes to sports, there's nothing besides March that can possibly beat the fall season with college football coming back and then NBA basketball right around the corner. And this weekend was opening weekend for college football. We had some cupcake matchups, right? And then we had some pretty decent matchups. So, C-Laz, I know you're in ACC country. I'd like to hear your perspective, man. What was the best game from this weekend? And it might not be one that has already been played from your perspective since you're an ACC guy, right? Right. And I'm about two hours from uh, Blacksburg, and so they're getting ready to tip off. So um, I could tell you what was the worst moment for the ACC at this point, but I might not be able to tell you the best yet. Hopefully tonight's game, Virginia Tech versus Florida State, will be a great game. But the Miami game was not a great game. And when they started mocking the turnover chain, um, we knew it was over. So your boy left Georgia to take over Miami. They had an incredible year, but they enter into this year after one game with the longest losing streak in the ACC in four games in a row. So people in Miami – are not happy, but one of the coolest moments was seeing uh, the running back from LSU who had just waited his time behind all those great runners like Fournette finally get a start and get 100 yards game, two touchdowns, and then just embracing his mom on the field after the game. So that was one of the best moments, but one of the worst if you're an ACC fan. And I think I know where you're going for your best moment. <laughs> that was a great moment. A great moment definitely for LSU and Miami, man. I don't know. They had 31 turn. They caused 31 turnovers last year. There's no way that they can replicate that. Um, but hopefully they get their swag back because they're in a bit of a spiraling downward pattern. And I, you know, I like Mark Rick. He's my guy. So I want to see him turn around. If nothing more than the Brunswick native, DJ Dallas, getting some more reps at running back because the boy is a beast best moment for me man i i can't say georgia okay they play austin p and they look great but austin p's a fcs team they had to take two minutes off the clock in the fourth quarter and go running clock because we were crushing them but it was good to see the freshman it was good to see the cow transferred robertson do his thing i'm waiting for next week at south carolina uh, before i actually talk about and break down my dogs the best moment for me was like watching the end of the Penn State game because <laughs> I got a chance to watch the end of it. And I was on pins and needles because Appalachian State was almost on the verge of another monumental upset at Penn State. 
They were about to win that game. And it came down to the overtime interception by Penn State cornerback. And game was over. Game set match. Now Penn State's still in the hunt. But Appalachian State, you got y'all better, y'all better recognize. Stop and scheduling them, boys. Number first games. <laughs> the big Michigan win they had 11 years ago was the exact same date, September 1st. So they almost pulled it off again. Almost. And, uh, almost pulled it off, man. So that was probably the one moment. And the other moment for me, and my homie Blaine lives across the street from me, was the disappointment with Nebraska coming out of the tunnel with their new coach, Scott Frost and not being able to play one down of football. They did a kickoff, and it started st- storming outside. D-Wade and his crew were at the game, and they had to postpone the game. How sucky is that? New coach, new atmosphere, and you didn't get to play one snap. That's nuts. That's just crazy. Hopefully so, that's not I, I hope I hope <laughs> not either, man. My boy was so amped. He was like, bro, I am just done for right now because I didn't get to see any football they came out of the tunnel and that was it that had to be disappointing real real quick story but we talked about loving college football i actually was a reporter and so i was covering virginia tech georgia tech the very beginning of uh michael vick's sophomore year first game they had a sunday night game against georgia tech it was supposed to be on espn but it got canceled because it rained so hard and also (laughs) lightning hit lee corso's rental car and um, <laughs> I live about two hours from Virginia Tech, but the traffic was so bad because everybody had to turn around and leave the stadium. I got in my car at 9.14 p.m. and got home at 2.23 a.m. So I was literally just on the road with everyone else, disappointed, trying to leave the game. And it took me three hours to get to the interstate, about of a five-mile drive. That's brutal, man. That is brutal. That's one of the things about those big games like that and then weather on top of it is like you never know when you're going to get home. I'm kind of an early to bed guy, so I can't do it. (laughs) 2 a.m. is rough for me. I ain't did that since before Christ in the club. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, look, man. um, Our boy Jay Hart loves him some Nike shoes, right? He is – he swears by Nike. He wears Nike, Nike exclusively. Me nowadays, I'm more of a I'm like Snikey. I can I can wear whatever. Like I'm not really the brand guy, but I don't know, man. I might have to start liking Nike again. Why is that? Well, we gotta ask this question because we recently found out that Colin Kaepernick was awarded the 30th anniversary Just Do It Athlete Award by Nike, which is huge because for some, Colin Kaepernick is probably a PR nightmare being that he was the athlete who kind of started the entire kneeling during the anthem protest. Well, we also found out via Dan Ravel's tweet that they have been paying him this entire time which is straight gangster. So they decided to wait until their 30th anniversary to announce him as the athlete of the year. And he may have a multi-million dollar deal with them for not playing football, but for his social activism. And we also saw that Nike was standing beside Serena in her cat suit debacle. Um, so here's the question for us, man. Is Nike at this point, can we make them, can we inaugurate them into the woke company organization hall of fame because of these moves? What do you think, man? 
Yeah, so that's great. So first of all, Jay Rich, I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy because I sent you some pictures of shoes of a certain athlete wearing a certain brand. And I've heard you say never, ever, ever will you wear those. So uh, like you might say like you're kind of indifferent towards brands, but I think you know exactly which athlete I'm talking about. He's a Golden State Warrior and uh, a two-time MVP and a three-time <laughs> Well, that narrows it down, right? <laughs> yeah. Jay Rich said never, ever. So, no, I uh, thought that was the British Knights tweet that you sent me, man. You were trying to get me to wear some BKs, bro. It wasn't Under Armour, man. We know that. I know we weren't going brands here, but I had to go ahead and say it. I think it was the BKs <laughs> you did that to me. Listen, fam. All right, so I am a unique history buff, so I like the history of all types of things. I know a lot about um, Nike's designer, Eric Avar, who creates a lot of the Kobe designs and things like that. But as far as our culture and Nike, there's always been this unique relationship. And uh, for any hip hop historians, they'll remember Public Enemy had a song called Shut Em Down, where they called for a boycott of Nike for how much we were invested in um, their shoes as currency. They had that era in the 90s where you heard a lot of stories about people getting shot for their Jordans. And then most recently, we had a story in Atlanta um, where the LeBrons were being released and somebody tried to rob everybody who was waiting in line and they shot him, the, the would-be criminal robber, they shot him and left him for dead and didn't get out the line to get the LeBrons. Um, so it's always been this kind of tenuous thing where like, yeah, we love the Nikes, but we also have some problems with Nikes. And so to go from the point where you would say, public enemies making songs saying like, hey, you're not doing what you're supposed to for our neighborhood for all the support you get from us to now the point where we're saying like, wow, the Serena story was, they were like, oh, we don't want you in that cat suit. And all of a sudden Nike releases this incredible commercial. And um, it was so affirming um, that it really was like, it was hard not to get hyped or a little bit emotional over that commercial. And then like Kaepernick, the reason that he's not in the NFL is because I don't think the owners really care one way or another what he thinks. It's just, they say we can't sell. He's affecting our bottom line, our dollar. And so for to put their support behind a polarizing athlete, usually everyone looks back at a Muhammad Ali and says, oh, we're so proud of what he stood for. But in the moment, those athletes typically aren't very popular. So we will see what happens, Jay Rich, but it's definitely a unique chapter in the history between um, the culture and Nike. Yeah, that's great, man. And I'm still looking forward to reading uh, Phil Knight's book. I think it's Shoe Dog. I haven't read it yet and looking forward to reading that. But here's what I would say about Nike briefly is that I think that they're awakening from a slumber. It's like my daughter, right? I go to wake her up in her room and she's not quite awake yet. You know, they're still sleeping the eyes. She's still trying to figure out, still trying to recalibrate. I think they were kind of in that stage with these two moves. Now, here's what would have made them woke. At least here's what I think. You know, the bait truck incident in Chicago where the Chicago police actually decided they were going to put a semi-trailer full of Nikes in the middle of the south side of Chicago to bait, quote unquote, potential criminals to steal them. Now, you put in the open truck full of Nike shoes in the hood to bait people to come and steal them. Well, it actually got on the news because a local activist actually recorded the police doing it. 
And then there was a GoFundMe campaign set up to actually provide shoes to the hood and raise the funds to do so. So they bought hundreds of pair of shoes for these kids in the hood as a result of this bait truck incident. What if Nike would have said, hey, we stand by the local hood in the south side of Chicago and we're going to send 100 or so pairs of of LeBrons or 100 pairs of any other uh, iconic shoe uh, in the Nike line. Now that, for me, would have made them woke to the degree that I think that companies should be in caring about issues of social justice without thinking about the bottom line all the time. Because to be honest with you, we give them a bunch of money, bro. And our athletes bring in a, a lot of money. So you would think that uh, this would be their default condition. And also, I don't know if we remember this chapter too, but uh, Kevin Garnett actually left Nike because he didn't want to charge hood kids that much for shoes. And so he went from Nike and being the person who kind of was the ambassador for the flight posit line of shoes that were anywhere from 180 to $220 to go into and one and um, doing a campaign with them over the price of the shoes. So it's definitely been a unique relationship, but it's glad to see them not be so afraid and not so worried about the bottom dollar as to do what they feel like is right. So, all right, so Jay Rich, uh, at the end of it, we always wanna dig into that gospel and we touch on a lot of theological things. We even had some things that we were tossing around as ideas, but this week we decided to go um, something that's very practical because we're both dads. I have five kids, you have two kids, and we care um, that we shepherd them in a way that the gospel bears fruit in their lives. And uh, it's time to go back to school. So all this back to school shopping is done. Our kids are back in school. Um, In this season of life, my kids are in public school. I believe your kids are in public school, no matter what school system you choose there's going to be um, challenges to it whether that's christians choosing to homeschool christian school or public school but i thought we would just spend a few minutes navigating in the years that we've had that what would we pass on to someone new christian family who are about to put their kids in school what does that gospel centered parenting look like in terms of relationships with the school in our case both public schools yeah so uh, i've talked about this at length with my wife and us being advocates for my son as a person of color. Uh, And I've written about this as well in the past in terms of like academics and trying to uh, help my son understand that he's probably going to have to try twice as hard in some instances in order for his acumen to be recognized. So I think I want to go a different direction in this and actually be a little bit more introspective. Uh, in terms of discipling my kid and helping him navigate that. Uh, Chap Bettis in his book, The Disciple-Making Parent, actually says the first battleground of discipleship of a child is not my child's heart, but it's actually my heart. Um, And he goes on to say, hey, we have to figure out whether or not we want to be more concerned that our child is accepted into Harvard or heaven. And I've recorded a video on this before, but it's true. Like, Even when I'm thinking through the academics and trying to figure out, okay, how is my son going to be recognized in this school? I got to think about the long view of saying, okay, my son is actually 
um, someone who is a reflection of me, and I want him to be able to reflect Christ's character and to come to know Christ even in the school setting. Uh, so that he is also a light in that setting as well. So how am I discipling my child's heart, uh, not towards academics only, but also towards spiritually growing in that environment where it can be tough for him? So uh, just keeping that view of, hey, I'm discipling this kid for the next 11 years or so uh, of his life uh, so that when he does go to college, he has this foundation um, that is not just full of algebra and calculus, but also full of Christ and Christ's spirit and being able to develop him as a disciple. Uh, that's one of the things I want to keep in mind at the start of each school year, uh, that it's not really all about standardized testing, um, but it's also about a Christian standard to which I am hoping to um, to build into him as a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, that's... that's uh... That's great. Just to piggyback on that, I think the most important thing you said was your own heart. And it's good for me to remember that, like, I am not the Christ and that my heart can be led astray every day and need to return to the gospel through repentance and prayer. And so just reminding um, in that situation where kids struggle with things or um we see them where it seems like, oh, it seems like the world is having a huge influence on their hearts and where their affections are right now to recognize, oh, yeah, I possess that same heart and to model repentance for them. Um, what it looks like for me to say, yeah, like your heart goes after this, my heart goes after that. But let's both return to the gospel in those uh, situations. In our home, we tried to make some decisions. We were a Christian school family for a long time. And when we went to um, public school, one of the things we do is try to redeem the car ride. And so that's usually our time. Um, tomorrow on the way to school, we'll read a proverb, we'll put on some instrumental beats, and we'll read a proverb together in the family, and then we'll pray together as a family. And then we'll also uh, take some time and just like, I'll affirm things about my kids. And I want that to be the last thing they hear out of the door is how, what the gospel says about who they are and who their identity is in Christ. Um, so those are just some small things that we do to try to get our kids ready, but it's more than just like something where we plan out a Proverbs, which I do think is important to have a plan, something you can do for two or three minutes on the way there, no matter what it is. Um, it's just being available in those moments when the kids have questions and be ready to the, apply the gospel in every situation. So that's kind of what it looks like in our home. It's so good, man. Those affirmations are super important, super important, especially at the ages our kids are. So definitely love those practical steps that you just gave our folks. Listen to John being all theological and then Chris comes with all the practicality, man. <laughs> nah, man, I was, I was learning from you even though I that chat bet quote, I was like, ah, oh, man, that's that's so good. And that's where I need to start. And I think I tried, but it was just a, a good concrete reminder that I can hold on to. And be like, hey, yeah. before you start shepherding their heart, how about shepherding yours? Hey, man, uh, I did mention that resource, the Disciple Making Parent chat bet is, but we usually try to share what we're reading, what we're listening to, to some of our readers or some of our listeners. And um, wanted to touch base with you, man. I know it's been a hot minute. We recorded last about 30 days ago. So what you been reading, man? I know you got that nice, nice hoopla account with audiobooks, man, and you be on it right now. So 
what you been reading lately, bro? As of this moment, today's is um, Disunity in Christ by Christina Cleveland, which I believe was a, a John Richards suggestion. Mm. But like, if I'm going to recommend one resource this week, it's got to be the Russell Moore sermon that you sent me about the gospel and justice. He was blowing that text wide open. I thought I was about to do a Pentecostal dance. He was killing that joint. So thank you so much for sending that to me. And that would definitely be my recommendation. I saw also Tabidi tweeted that same link out uh, about two days ago. But man, that chapel uh, message he gave. Because for anyone who hasn't been paying attention, there's been this huge rift. Uh, I know you've written extensively about it, um, including some tweet threads about just um, our conversation that we're having nationally between what is the gospel and justice and how those things can coincide peacefully together. And there hasn't been a ton of agreement on that. But I think uh, Russell Moore just, it's almost like, all right, that's the final word. It's almost like James in the church in Acts. He's like, all right, I'm about to give you the ruling. That joint <laughs> was powerful. It was really good, man. Love Russ Moore. We'll definitely put a link to that video in the show notes um, for the show. My book is actually going to be something I'm reading for pleasure. I'm in kind of in between classes for my program. So I get to actually read uh, for pleasure. And this one is a, a, a volume edited by Mark Laberton called Still Evangelical. And it asks about six uh, leading voices in evangelicalism, uh, where they are in terms of their evangelical identity. And it's a pr- crucial conversation that we need to have these days because a lot of people are questioning what an evangelical is. So Mark Laberton is the president of Fuller Seminary, my alma mater. So I respect him highly and was looking forward to diving into this volume and it has not disappointed so far. All right. Close the shout outs, man. What you got? Man, I got a bunch and you're going to understand why. All right. But quickly. All right. So yesterday we were in Richmond. My wife's parents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. Um, so that's definitely number one. Number two, um, cause I have a cousin speaking of college football, PK Kyer. Um, I went to college with my cousin, his dad, Petey Kyer. And this year he's a sophomore running back for the university of Virginia. And he switched his number from 26 to number six. He chose six because of his nephew, Braden Kyer, who died of cancer. He would have been six this year. So PK switched his number up in honor of him. I just thought that was real cool. And then the third one is, I got to give a shout out to a couple of the homies. This is my legacy crew from the DMV. Andrew Russell, Nate Emanuel, and Macklin Mosley were putting together a little contest on social media this week to get away free music and a couple books, a couple goodies. And it's just been fun connecting with them all week. Plus, I just appreciate all their music. It's an encouragement to me in the gospel. And check all those guys out. So lengthy shout outs today, but important ones. Well worth it, man. Anniversaries need to have those. I love hearing stories about athletes who are just honoring folks who have been in their lives. And Chris is always good for a free giveaway somewhere. (laughs) Always, man. All right. My closing shout out is to my neighbor, man, Lamar Burrell. He actually had, uh, well, his wife had their first son, uh, Grant, on yesterday. Uh, That would be September 2nd. So shout out to Lamar becoming a dad of a son for the first time, which for me is always special. Um, and I'm pretty sure you can vouch for that as well. So he, he's beaming. 
from ear to ear. So shout out to the homie Lamar as you enter the sleepless nights for the next several months. But looking forward to meeting little Grant. All right, guys, that's been episode number 62 of the Box and One podcast. As always, make sure you go over to iTunes, leave a rating, review, uh, make sure you share it with other folks. And also check out our website, boxandonepodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Box and One Podcast and on Facebook at Box and One Podcast as well. As always, thank you guys for tuning in. We look forward to being with you guys next go round. This is your boy Jay Rich and C Lass. Peace out. Yo, all right, peace. <laughs>